Good morning and welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven on this Tuesday morning, June the 6th. It is a joyful morning. It's a beautiful morning outside. That sunrise this morning has been gorgeous. You know, I have to tell you, I kind of have a like-dislike. It's not a love-hate. It's a like-dislike for these early sunrises. On the one hand, I really like how the sun being up helps me wake up. It's, Adam, sun's up. You need to get up. Let's go. But then I also look at the clock and say, why is the sun up this early? I, surely 10, min, 10 more minutes would have been okay. No. The sun's up. We're up. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, I place my trust in you, O Sacred Heart of Jesus. I believe in your love for me. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've got a lot for you on the show today. We are going to be on the road later in the show talking with Father Paul Hazing. He is one of the National Eucharistic Revival Eucharistic Preachers. We're going to be talking about Corpus Christi which traditionally would fall this coming Thursday on the Thursday after uh, Trinity Sunday. Um, But we celebrate liturgically on Sunday. And uh, speaking of which, you know, we have some more announcements about processions. We'll get to those later in the show. And by the way, as always, if you have a procession you want to share with us, email me uh, this week, adam at ourcatholicradio.org. Now, um, also on the show today, we're going to be talking about Bells. What? Bells. You heard me. No, it's it's not Radiothon here on Covenant Network. It's a talk about bells. Bells for prayer, bells for uh mass. And well you gotta you have to stay tuned with that. Father Michael Rainier is gonna be with us to talk about bells later on. So that's all ahead on the show. Let's go to Mike Roberts now for Saint of the Day. Today is the feast day of Saint Norbert. Born in Germany late in the 11th century, Norbert was the son of a count, and his family helped him gain a position as a subdeacon whose only responsibility was to chant the divine office. Later, he became chaplain to Henry V of Cologne, and these positions paid Norbert. That was enough for him to live a life of pleasure while giving off the appearance of being a committed religious. Then, in 1115, as he was riding, a thunderstorm produced a lightning strike that startled his horse and he was thrown to the ground where he lay unconscious for nearly an hour. When he woke up, he found himself saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he heard the Lord say, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Norbert gave away all his possessions and became a priest. With the Pope's permission, he became a traveling preacher, adopting an extremely spare lifestyle, traveling barefoot even in winter. The Bishop of Lyon offered Norbert some land to start a community, and in spite of the demanding reforms, he attracted enough followers to build eight abbeys and two convents. Called the Norbertines, his was the first community to offer an affiliation for lay people. Against his wishes, he was made bishop and then Archbishop of Magdeburg, and here too Norbert brought greatly needed reform. At the end of his life, he also helped resolve a dispute between rival popes supporting Pope Innocent II. St. Norbert, please pray for us. 
I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Father Michael Rainier is the author of The Forgotten Language, How Recovering the Poetics of the Mass Will Change Our Lives. I should also say Father Michael Rainier is a parish priest here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis because I, I don't know you through the book. I just know you from going to Mass and having coffee with you, uh, not at Mass, after Mass or on different days. It's always been a joy to talk with you, and thanks for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Thanks for having me. We love to talk liturgy, and more on that later. Uh, But, Father, I want to get to one very specific thing, because every time I go to Mass at your parish, I notice something. When the Sanctus bells are rung during the Eucharistic prayer, not only are the little Sanctus bells, the hand ones that the altar server has, rung, but someone very quietly, I never see them go, and yet they go there. Uh, Someone goes and, and gets the rope off the wall and starts ringing the tower bell at the moment of the consecration where the bread becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, and as well the moment of consecration where the wine ceases to be wine and becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. Uh, Two questions for you this morning. Number one, why are we ringing a bell then? And number two, uh, in most parishes we go to, it's just that the server rings the little hand bell. Why are you ringing, not you personally, but why are you having the tower bell rung? Right. As much as I'd love to ring it personally, the, the altar boys are very possessive about who gets to ring that bell. That's, that's the biggest privilege of being an altar server is you get to ring the tower bell. <laughs> so, so they come early and they, they will fight uh, over, over that privilege. So to address the first question, the sanctus bells inside the church. So why do we ring them at that moment? In, uh, in the liturgy, there's almost always a practical explanation and then a spiritual explanation. So the practical explanation is, uh, imagine you are a, a parent, you're, you're trying to keep your toddler quiet, you're, you're distracted, or imagine you go to maybe one of these massive cathedrals and you're sitting very far away and you're having trouble seeing or someone tall is sitting in front of you. Uh, the bells are rung at that moment to refocus us. Something important is happening. So when those bells ring uh, in the Mass, that's our signal. The Holy Spirit's at work. Pay attention. And it's just a very powerful signal to get us focused right back on what we need to be focused on. And then second, bells are always alerting us as well to that spiritual aspect that there's a spiritual reality that is overcoming it's, it's, it's sort of pervading the atmosphere. Uh, and so bells traditionally in the Catholic Church have always, uh, they've always been blessed. They've been, they've been consecrated. They're very, very important um, because they're offering, um, it's, it's almost like they're, they're crying out, look, like God is here. Look, pay attention. And they're, they're praising him, which is why Satan hates bells. He just hates Satan, despises them, because now we're using this sensible thing, an object, and it's praising God, and nothing can make him more upset uh, than, than that fact. And I, I love them in our church because uh, the kids love them. So the kids, it helps them focus and understand. So without me even teaching, hey, something important's happening right here, you know, this is, this is, it was bread, now it's a Eucharistic host, and this is what's going on, and let me explain transubstantiation to you kids. The kids just hear the bells, they know it's important, they tell their moms, Jesus is here, 
and it clicks. I, I never get to do the uh, because we're we're an uplifting show, which I like being an uplifting show. Full full disclaimer on this, but I never get to do the grilling interview. Like why why did you do oh, this? Yeah, right, so I'm, I'm going to grill yeah. you now. Uh, St. <laughs> Lawrence, pray for Father Rainier. Uh, you know the announcing what's happening inside the church. Certainly, I think all of us would understand, especially having been in both the small church with the squirmy toddler and the large cathedral, and dare I say, in the large cathedral sitting far away with the squirmy toddler, the bell is is very much appreciated to call my attention. Um, And the tower bell we ring throughout the day on the hour. I I know the Angelus is rung in many parishes by the the tower bell, and even the Nunc Dimittis is rung at nighttime when Compline would be prayed. But why the tower bell at the moment of consecration. I mean, surely everyone at that point who's coming to Mass is inside the church and can hear the, the handbell that the server rings. Why ring the tower bell at that point? And, and what do the neighbors say about this? Right. So, yeah, yeah. so I think the important thing to understand is the grace in that room is not meant to be contained in that room. That grace rings throughout the world. That the tower bell is a symbol of that, that soon enough all these Catholics are going to spill out of this building and they're going to take God's grace with them as these little tabernacles, these little ambassadors for Christ. And so the tower bell is, is giving us a sense, okay, like the gospel is being proclaimed throughout the atmosphere. So you can, you can hear this all over the neighborhood. And we really want people to hear it. Not just on the hour or playing a nice little hymn because it's 5 p.m. and you've got it, you know, this fancy set of bells. But we want them hearing them specifically at the consecration because we want our neighborhood knowing, whether you're Catholic or not, this church is alive, it's vibrant, worship is happening here, and it's for the Catholic community, but it's not meant to stay within the Catholic community. Have you ever had a neighbor come up to you and say, uh, Father, something's wrong with the bell. I mean, normally it rings on the hour, but the other day at about, you know, it was Sunday evening at about 645, 650, the, the bell rang. And I thought, oh, they're, they're, they're 10, 15 minutes early. What, what was going on there, Father? <laughs> I've never had that. The Epiphany bells have never rung on the hour. We do ring them, I think, about 10 minutes before masses are supposed to start. And I have had people in the neighborhood say uh, that the bell helped them get to Mass on time because they heard it and they, they, they thought, oh, I need to get going right now. Uh, so that's definitely helped. But, uh, yeah, I apologize to anyone in the neighborhood that I'm confusing. <laughs> and, and they think it's, you know, I'm ringing it at 6 o'clock on the hour and it's actually 6.13 or something. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. When you hear the bells ring, you can know there's multiple facets to why they're ringing. Practical reasons, spiritual reasons. And it's all such a wonderful thing to know. Father, thank you for sharing that with us today on Roadmap to Heaven. Sure thing. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. One of my favorite words is the word convergence. I love to say, oh, there's a convergence of things happening. For instance, we are now in the month of June where we celebrate the Sacred Heart of our Lord, but we also celebrate some great feasts like Trinity Sunday and Corpus Christi, the solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another happy convergence is that we are in the Eucharistic revival as this happens, and even more so adding on to it, there are Eucharistic preachers throughout the country, and among them is Father Paul Hazing, who also happens to be the president-rector of Kenrick Glennon Seminary right here in our backyard. And we are fortunate enough to sit down with Father Hazing today to talk about some of these wonderful things. Father, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Adam, for having me. 
Appreciate it. I love the Feast of Corpus Christi. I think back to when I was a little boy, my, my grandma would always sign me up. She was good friends with the head of the altar servers. And he would say, Mary Jane, can your grandson serve for the procession? Every time she said, Adam, you should do this, you should do this. And I'd go to 7 a.m. mass and the, the early reaches of Sunday morning, and then we'd go for the procession throughout the neighborhood. And there's just a lot of fond memories associated with this feast. Help us understand... Uh, why are we even having a feast? I mean, when we think of daily Mass and Sunday Mass, isn't every Mass a feast of the body and blood of our Lord? Why do we even have this feast coming up? Well, it was uh, the vision, really, of a, a mystic in Belgium, you know, Liège, to be precise. Her name was Julian, and she had this vision that uh, the moon had a black mark, and she went to the, the bishop at that time, uh, Jacques Pantaleon, and uh, said, we need to have a feast for the body and blood of Jesus. And Jacques Pantaleon would become Pope Urban, and he was the one who instituted the feast in the Middle Ages, and that really allowed the Church to appreciate, after a millennia, what it means to have the body and blood of Jesus in every, uh, every church. And so uh, we've been celebrating Corpus Christi for over 800 years, as a way of recognizing what a gift we have. And the gift is the presence of Jesus, who takes up space and time and changes every one of our churches from a sort of, as uh, Evelyn Waugh remarked in his uh, Brideshead Revisited, the family had a chapel and they removed the Blessed Sacrament. And when they did that, it was just a strangely decorated room. Wow. Now, you are one of the Eucharistic preachers for the Eucharistic Revival, and in every conversation we've had with different members of the Revival, whether it's Joel Stepanek or Sister Alicia Torres, uh, who talked about a beautiful program uh, for learning more about our Eucharistic faith, one thing is consistent in every conversation, that while this is a national Eucharistic Revival at the national level, at the diocesan level, at the parish level, really at its core for all of us, it's at the me Level. It's it's at the for, for Adam Wright. It's the Adam Wright level. For Father Paul Hazing, it's the Father Hazing level. Um, how can this feast be a point where we can really deepen that revival in our hearts, deepen our relationship with our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament? I think, especially with a procession, it says something about our worship is not private. They want to talk about a freedom of religion, and they want to isolate it to freedom of worship. You do your thing in your church, and that's fine, but don't bring it out in the streets. But the Catholic says, no, there's an integrated vision here. What happens in my relationship with Jesus will affect how I live in the world. And the procession brings that reality to light and says, Jesus wants to live in the world. He wants your hands, your feet, your mind, your heart, your soul to affect others. And so the, the procession really makes that emphatic that our personal relationship with Jesus Christ results in a public reality. And so we, we embrace that the public reality. Then I, as I encounter people and I interact with people, there's a feedback like, oh, now that I interact with people differently, I pray differently. I often like to tell the men here at the seminary, the way we relate to other people will often reflect how we relate to God. So if I'm defensive or shy, I can, I'm, I'll, I'll do that in my relationship with God. And so to see how we relate with people and see how that's meant to inform our prayer and move us into a different level of prayer is, is really important. So I, 
for me personally, this this Eucharistic revival has really led me to understand more deeply what it means for me to say, this is my body given for you. Is there an element of this as we talk about the importance of living out that faith by going on procession on or participating in the Corpus Christi procession that helps then edify our belief and our relationship in ourselves? And I, I mean, I think specifically of my dean of students in high school, who was very adamant that gentlemen, the dress code is important because it helps form you as a man. It's not just about you looking nice when people come into the building. And I think of my, my earliest exposure to the seminary here 20 years ago. I, the, the rector of the college seminary at the time was known for being very strict with the college men about their appearance and their dress. And it was all going back to that. This isn't just about how you present yourself, but this is about your formation. Mm-hmm. So how can our public witness, I suppose is the question, help, help form us? Well, if I'm going out in the public, I, I'm, I'm expressing what I believe and what I believe about Jesus and the Eucharist should say something about his majesty, his goodness, his generosity. So if I go and meet the president, if I go and meet the pope, I'm going to address in response to that goodness and generosity and, and, and reverencing of the office. If I'm meeting Jesus in the Eucharist, I want to have that capacity for reverence and, and goodness being expressed in my, my, my public expression. Um, I, I think oftentimes of the 30-day exercises, and um, we have seminarians on the exercises, and they make these midnight holy hours. And the sisters will also be there making their midnight holy hour. And the men will show up in the first few weeks to their midnight holy hour uh, wearing something like sweats and a t-shirt. Meanwhile, sisters there, fully habited. And so the men start to realize, oh, I realize this is an intimate moment, it's in the middle of the night, no one's really around, but it would be good to put on some slacks and a collared shirt if I'm going to pray in the chapel and not be slouchy, (laughs) not be sort of dismissive of the reality that I'm with people here and I want people to see how I reverence Jesus because he's reverencing and showing his goodness to me and being available in the Eucharistic presence. So the, the women, the sisters, the consecrated women always raise the bar yeah. <laughs> on a 30-day exercise. Express yourself in a way that allows people to see what you believe. What is the, you know, we, we talk often in the, the natural, the, the visual of people seeing us on procession, seeing us going into the church, seeing us come out of the church. What about the supernatural aspect of this, the, the presence of our Lord on our neighborhood streets. I, I think in particular of my neighborhood where one of the processions goes by the busiest brunch spot on Sunday mornings of another parish in St. Louis where their procession often crosses over one of the major interstates and they stop there for a moment. Uh, given the the tumult of the world around us, the, the political strife and, and all these things that we don't really have time to go into, how can just the presence of our Lord have an effect on our world around us? A friend of mine compared the procession to um, what it was like to go through the, the Red Sea. The waters were deadly. And when we enter into the, 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 the world out there, there's, there's a lot of death, a lot of transience. So people eat brunch, they'll have to do it next week and next week and next week. A lot of transience, a lot of death. And what happens with the procession is here comes life and life everlasting, life eternal. And so when people see that procession with the Eucharist at its center, life now has an anchor. 
there's eternal life in Jesus. Meanwhile, there's all this death, the changing of seasons, changing of times, eating and drinking, going about buying and selling. That's all fine and good, but it's not it. And that was a great kind of lesson, I think, for the pandemic, wasn't it? All of our entertainment, all of our ways of of escaping, all of our distractions that we relied upon, the malls, the, the arenas, the bars, they were shut down. And so will I put my faith in these transient gods again? Or is there something permanent and lasting I can put my faith in? And that's what the procession expresses in the midst of the world. When you go out to preach as one of the Eucharistic preachers for the revival, what's the core message? We, we use the word kerygma a lot. Like, let's get to the core of this, the, the proclamation. What's the core message you hope to proclaim? I have to say I've been crafting the message specifically for priests because I checked the box that said willing to speak with priests. And of the Eucharistic preachers, I think of one of seven that is really... Uh, speaking to priests. And so the core message I want with priests is, is how deeply Jesus desires to give his life for each one of us and to receive that love and then to be awakened in our own way, personally and particularly, in how I give my life to others. So when I say those words, this is my body given for you, there's something spousal there, there's something deeply healing there, and I think we live in a world where it's very difficult to see a spousal life lived faithfully. And if priests are not living that spousal life, it's, it's, it's hard to inspire couples. It's hard to have children. <laughs> it's hard to have spiritual fatherhood unless I have that spousal life with Jesus and his church. So that's the message I'm really moving into because it's been important for my own life. From the moment I was ordained, this is the anniversary of my ordination today, 21 years. That's the, 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 the passage I chose for my holy card, for my ordination. This is my body given for you. It's deeply sacrificial. It's what soldiers do when they lay on the grenade. It's what men do when they lay down their lives at their wedding day, and it unfolds for the rest of life. So I want that message, this is my body given for you, to animate hearts in a new way. I think that's a beautiful message for all of us. I, I, dare I say, not just for the priests, but for all of us. Father, I want to thank you for taking this time to be with us to help kindle a little bit of Eucharistic revival on our radio show today. Could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Sure. Let us pray. Jesus, you give us your body and blood, your soul and divinity at every Mass. Let us become receptive to you and your love. And may your love transform our lives to bring you into the world, incarnate, through how we live and move and have our being. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Father Paul Hazing, thank you so much for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. Friends, if you'd like to know more about the Eucharistic Revival, including next year's Congress and what's happening at the parish level right now, you can visit eucharisticrevival.org. And as always, for more information on vocations, speak with your diocesan vocation director. I'm sure they'd love to have some more men discerning the call to the priesthood here at Kenrick Glennon Seminary or in whatever seminary your diocese goes to. In the meantime, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere.
Here's a quick catequist for you on this Tuesday morning. When we come to the Feast of Corpus Christi, we have several Eucharistic hymns, including Tantum Ergo and Dorote Devote that we will sing. Uh, who composed the music for the Divine Office on the Feast of Corpus Christi? The answer, St. Thomas Aquinas. And Lore tells us that both uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Bonaventure were asked by Pope Urban IV to uh, submit hymns and texts and whatnot, and that when Thomas shared his, St. Bonaventure was moved to tears and tore up his manuscript and said, don't even consider mine, go with what St. Thomas has written. Uh, So there you have it. We're going to get you in the Daily Dose of Encouragement. This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, Patty Schneier is sharing with us favorite quotes from Venerable Servant of God, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. I love it, and I'm looking forward to today. Here's the quote for today. Archbishop Fulton Sheen said this, But when finally the scrolls of history are complete, down to the last word of time, the saddest line of all will be, there was no room in the end. That made me pause because I've often challenged myself and listening audiences that the modern version of that line and the challenge for all of us is, is there room in my schedule? Not just is there room in the inn, meaning for Jesus, for Mary, for Joseph. Is there room in your inn? For us, it's our schedule. The bottom line for us to ask, is there room in my life, in my heart, in my marriage, in my day, my work, my everything for Jesus. The inn is any place where we gather with friends, gather with family, gather as a people. Have we made room for Jesus in every aspect of our lives? And just think about that. The saddest words of all, there was no room in the inn. Ponder that today and then make room for Jesus in one area of your life where you know you need to. Those are remarkable words you've shared with us today, Patty, and I want to thank you for this dose of encouragement. As we come to the end of our time together here on Roadmap to Heaven this morning, I want to share a little anecdote with you. A friend of mine texted me a picture during the show, and it was a picture of a coffee cup that said, Coffee is the best reward. Now, everyone in the group text knew that heaven is the best reward, not coffee. But coffee on this earth can be a great reward, and... The uh, comment was, it might be if the hotel coffee wasn't so bad. And immediately I turned around and said, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. It's important to have someone to do that because this past weekend, you know, as I've shared with you some of just what's been going on in the life of the rights, there have been many points where I've just had to kind of throw my hands up in the air and laugh and say, I'm not going to ask how things could get any worse because I know they can. But I was so grateful to have some good friends who share that same spiritual goal of getting to heaven, who were there to remind me, Adam, don't waste your suffering. Now, here's the uh, best thing about it. We say it, and like right now I sound cheerful and positive and pleasant and whatnot, 
uh, and, and it sounds like it's all sunshine and roses. But we all know that when you're going through something in the moment, it can be overwhelming. It can be unsettling. It can make you cry. It can bring you to the edge of what you're able to process. And believe you me, as I was standing there looking at our kitchen sink drain in pieces, it's put back together and functioning now, I was about to be on the brink of tears. But having someone there to say, listen, you know you're going to get through this. Yes, it's difficult right now. Don't waste your suffering. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be here with you as you suffer. Listen to my voice right now. Do I sound like the suffering has defeated me? No. Is my leg still sore from everything that's happened? Yes. Uh, Are we being a little bit more mindful about the kitchen sink? Absolutely. The two events are unrelated, by the way. Uh, But the most important thing is having that person there reminding me to be holy and not to waste. What's that? You know it. Suffering. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I almost laughed uh, praying just now, thinking about another thing that was said to me was, are you praising God for your kitchen drain falling apart? Are you praising God for the clogged pipe? Are you praising God for the pain in your leg? If not, you should be because he's given you this gift. Don't waste it. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for being with us today here on Roadmap to Heaven. It's Tuesday. Go to our Mother of Perpetual Help and most especially pray your rosary today.